and how we can get victory from this place in our life. When we get to a place, when we get to a place when we're struggling believing what God wants to do in our life. Maybe you felt like I've, you know, messed up. Maybe you felt like, well, I've already asked and asked and asked. Or maybe you feel like, I don't know, fill in the blank of your life that you're struggling tonight. And uh, you're not alone. You're not alone. We all go through these times of life. And our text tonight, I love this because this is always the case. The Word of God has the answer for us. Amen. And so notice in our text, Brother Jim read this in verse 53. It came to pass when Jesus had finished these parables that he departed thence. And he'd been on this preaching circuit all throughout Galilee and Capernaum and all of these areas. And he had finished up and it was time he chose this time to go home. He chose this time to go back to Nazareth and back to where he had grown up. And when he gets there, he goes into the synagogue and begins to teach. Now, think of this background here. He's coming into the synagogue. He, he has been called a rabbi. Actually, in the New Testament, at least six times, it, he is called rabbi. I mean, one of the most notable individuals to call him rabbi, I believe, uh, was, was Nicodemus, who himself was a Pharisee. And most likely, uh, from what some, uh, a ruler of the people on the Sanhedrin, uh, possibly. But he uh, was in the upper echelon of the religious crowd, of the religious ruling party in Israel. And he called him rabbi. And I find that really fascinating. One of the most uh, interesting and most tender times he is called that was in the garden when Mary was weeping after the resurrection and he finally said, Mary, and she said, Rabboni? <laughs> she knew his voice. She heard his voice finally. She caught it. She called him Rabbi, teacher, master, master. And so when he gets here, he is no doubt it, he has uh, been called Rabbi. He has disciples that he shows up with. They have been following with him for some time. And... Uh, and the people have taken note of his wisdom and his power in the way he teaches and preaches and does miracles. Look at verse 53 again, uh, verse 54, I'm sorry. And when he was coming to his own country, he taught them in their synagogue insomuch that when they were astonished and said, whence hath this man wisdom and these mighty works? So they are taking note of his preaching, his teaching, and they're taking note of, yes, even some miracles that he had done. Wouldn't it be wonderful to sit at the feet of Jesus to listen to him teach? It would just be, I, I mean, you know, sometimes uh, you might go to hear somebody and, it's, and an hour goes by, an hour and a half goes by, and you're like, wow, you're done, Right. And, uh, and, uh, but you could, I believe we could probably sit at the feet of Jesus. Oh, I don't know for eternity <laughs> and listen to him teach. I can't wait. I think that'd be great. But they're astonished here at his teaching and at his mighty works. But instead of getting closer, instead of like drawing in and listening closer and digging deeper it seems here that in verse 55, some familiarity gets in the way. Look at this, what he says in verse 55. Look what they say here. Is not this the carpenter's son? 
Is not his mother called Mary and his brethren, James and Joseph and Simon and Judas and his sisters? Are they not all with us? Whence then hath this man all these things? It's interesting what they bring up, isn't it? Is not this the carpenter's son? He's not from a line of rabbis. He is not from a line of Pharisees. No one in the family maybe is on the council of the Sanhedrin. And he's just, just, just a carpenter's son. He's nobody. And so they say, where does he get this wisdom? Isn't this kind of a well-repeated objection to the call of God we see in the Bible? Wasn't it Moses who said, we saw this morning, I can't speak. Uh, you got the wrong person. Uh, people are constantly looking at, uh, at their lineage and at their, uh, at their academics and at their uh, mental uh, abilities and knowledge and all of these things uh, to see whether they should or shouldn't be used for God. When Amaziah told Amos to quit preaching and quit prophesying, Amaziah said, hey, listen, I wasn't a prophet. My father wasn't a prophet. God called me out from following a bunch of sheep, right? And he, he said, uh, what does he say? I, I, I was a farmer, okay? I'm just a nobody when God called me. And what is he saying? God can call and use anybody. You just, whoever they are, you, you just need to listen to them. David was the least of his family and merely just a little shepherd boy. And think about this, of all people, Israel should have known that God can choose and use anybody. I mean, they were nothing. They were nobody. God said, I didn't choose you for your size. I chose you because I set my heart upon you and wanted you and chose you for this. He said, are you not just the carpenter's son? Look at this. Is not his mother called Mary? Not much tenderness there, was there? Is not his mother called Mary? Just, you know, plain old Mary. Just, you know, Mary with the illegitimate son, that Mary. Oh, no, the Pharisees are going to bring that up, aren't they? We be not born of fornication, they told Jesus, right? Just plain Mary. Just a carpenter's son. Look at this. Just siblings, aren't they all? Don't they all just live around us? Your brothers and your sisters, Four brothers, obviously more than one sister when he says sisters. And I, I, and I, I mean, we've, we've got to kind of chuckle at this a little bit, really. So much for Mary's perpetual virginity, huh? That the Catholic Church teaches that she is forever in this, in this state. Obviously not. She has children. Yeah. It's really annoying when facts get in the way, doesn't it? Isn't it? Yeah. No, hold on. The, these were known... The family was known among all of Nazareth really because there is nothing special about them in the world's eyes. They were just plain people. They were just normal people. They weren't living in Jerusalem. They weren't living in palaces. They weren't just a typical, uh, you know, they weren't just some special family with some great lineage. They were just a typical family from Nazareth. That's all they were. Nazareth. Remember when Philip went and found Nathanael? He said, we found the one that Moses and the prophets have preached, that we have found the Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth. And, and Nathanael goes, Has anything, is, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Are you serious? This doesn't seem right. So he's here laboring in his home synagogue. And they're astonished at what he says. They're astonished at his preaching. He's just, uh, in no, just 
it's not like, wow, this is good. Like, wow, who are you? You're a nobody. I mean, yeah, they kind of, they were kind of amazed at his, at his words. But can I tell you, this wasn't his first attempt to labor at home either. This is, this is round two at, the, at his home synagogue. Go back to Luke chapter 4, would you please? Luke chapter 4. I'm going to show you this. Luke chapter 4, look at verse 16. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. And there was delivered to him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. That's Isaiah 61, I believe. Uh, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book and he gave it again to the men minister and sat down and the eyes of all of them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began to say unto them, this day is scripture fulfilled in your eyes, in your ears. Sorry. Now, so far, so good. It's going to go downhill from here and all bear him witness and wondered at the gracious words, which proceeded out of his mouth. They liked it this time. And they said, is not this Joseph's son? Here it goes again. Right. And he said unto them, Ye will surely say unto me this proverb, Physician, heal thyself. Whatsoever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in thy country. And he said, Verily I say unto you, No prophet is accepted in his own country. But I tell you of a truth, many, many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, when great famine was throughout the land, but unto none of them was Elijah sent, save the save unto Sarepta, the city of Sidon, unto a woman that was a widow. And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisus, uh, the prophet. And none of them was cleansed, saving Naaman, the Syrian. And all they in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath and rose up and thrust them out of the city and led them up to the brow of the hill wherein their city was built that they might cast him down headlong. But he, passing through the midst of them, went his way. What caused this uproar? Well, he said, a prophet's not honorable in his own country. No, he wasn't received of his own people. You know, know what he went to next? Who God, <laughs> two Gentiles. <laughs> this widow of Sarepta and, uh, and then uh, Naaman the Syrian. <laughs> they went crazy over that, dragged him out of the city. I, on our tour, they brought us up to what they think was that pinnacle there at Nazareth. And we had to, it was so windy that day. And, and got up there to the top of that. It's really pretty cool to see. And they said, this is where we believe. They probably dragged him up and threw him off. And of course, Jewish tradition was he uh, flew out of the way and just took off, you know, and flew. So, I mean, he could have, um, right? I mean, he could have, but uh, I don't know about that. Anyway, uh, so he's been here before. They didn't like him the first time. He, you know, those pesky Gentiles, you bring those up, they really get irritated. When you say, yeah, these guys did better than you, right? They don't like that. They don't like that. And so he's back and this reception isn't any better. He's trying it again. Aren't you glad God returns? Aren't you glad God didn't stop with you the first time? Amen. That he still pursued you and pursued you? Sometimes for years he has pursued. 
And Jesus gives the exact same response as he gave the first time in, in verse 57 of our text. Matthew 13, look at verse 57. And they were offended in him. They were offended in him. Means to cause to stumble. Right? It wasn't like you offended me. Right? <laughs> That's a choice. We can choose to be offended. But they, they, were, they were caused to stumble. And he said, they were offended in him because he said unto them, a prophet is not without honor, save his own country and his own house. A prophet is not without honor, save his own country, Nazareth, and his own house, his parents and brothers and sisters. They were caused to stumble. Why? Because they thought they knew him so well. They thought they did anyway. They, they really believed they knew, they knew him because they knew the family background. Because they, they, they knew his lack of credentials and academia. Because they thought they knew everything about him. They stumbled at his words and they stumbled at his works. Oh, if you could tune into one thing, uh, just, just listen real quick to this. Because they thought they knew Jesus so well and for so long, they couldn't accept what he was teaching and the miracles he was doing. Familiarity. Familiarity caused them to have perceptions of him that really weren't accurate. And the old adage is true, isn't it? Familiarity breeds contempt. So we see here, finally, the works of Jesus uh, were hindered. They were hindered. His works were limited. Think about this. Everywhere Jesus went and he ministered, I mean, multitudes, the Bible would use the word multitudes would come. Multitudes would sit on the hillside and listen to him preach. Multitudes would come, 4,000, 5,000 and more would come to listen to him preach and he would feed them and the miracles that would be done. I mean, this was a normal aspect and part of his ministry. I mean, uh, at, at one point, uh, I believe it was Herod himself even wanted to hear Jesus. I love his response. You tell that fox, that I, no, you're, I'm not coming, right? But no, they were enamored with him. They, 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 many, many came to love him. Many came to put their faith and trust in him. Many came to believe that he was the Messiah. And uh, he was preaching and healing and all of these things. But in Nazareth, his audience is no more than just a little synagogue. However many people were filled into that synagogue was about it. He, teach, he taught the same great lessons. I believe he would have preached the same great messages, right? But uh, there are no multitudes in his hometown. Nobody came out and said, hey, Jesus is, is teaching today. Come on. They're like, Joseph's son? <laughs> I'm busy. I'll be there next week <laughs> when the other guy comes, right? And he didn't do much there. He didn't do much. No, he had done miracles all over the place, but he didn't do anything here. That, not too much. Look at Mark chapter 6. You want to see all that he did? It's kind of ho-hum, really. 
Mark chapter 6. It's Mark's account of this event here. Look at verses 5 and 6. And he could do there no mighty work, save that he laid hands upon a few sick folk and healed them. He just laid his hand on a few sick folk. No, he had just gotten done healing probably thousands. Let me say it this way. Whoever came to him, he healed them, no matter what the number is. We don't have that number. But here in his own hometown... Just a few. That's it. What was it? Well, their unbelief hindered what Jesus could have done. Let me say this, what he wanted to do. I mean, why do you think the Holy Spirit of God uh, recorded this? I mean, we know what he has done. We know what he desires to do. We see here that he is limited from doing really what he probably wanted to do. What did he want to do? He wanted, to, he wanted them to understand who he was in his fullness and for them to receive that. They didn't do it. Just Joseph's son. Just another prophet. Oh, he's a great teacher. You hear that of the world said? You don't you hear that a lot? You've heard that? What do you think of, what think ye of Christ? Well, he was a great teacher. I think he was a good man. Yeah. Well, he's more than that. <laughs> he's creator. Amen. Their unbelief hindered what he could have done. Watch their familiarity. Their long history with the family. What they believed they already knew about him. Yeah. Don't miss this. It kept Jesus from doing more. Kept him from doing more. He would have done more. But it kept him from that. You know, I love it when God reveals the heart of the problem. Jesus' limitation was not because of the people's hang-up. It was not really because of the familiarities. It really wasn't because they knew all of the family history. Really, what, what the problem is here in the text is was, was their unbelief. That's the problem. You see, it says it right here. And he, and he did not many mighty works there because of their unbelief. The inference is so clear. He would have done more. But their unbelief kept him from doing so. Those that come to me, God says, they must believe that I am and I'm a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Faith, faith, faithlessness shuts God's working off. And the people at Nazareth thought that they knew everything knowable about Jesus. They really thought they understood him based on past experience based on their understanding of his family history, because of their own understanding, they didn't believe him. Just Joseph's son. His Mary is his mother. Brothers and sisters, they're all right here. None of these people are anything special, right? (laughs) Just carpenters. What they did, they shut Jesus off as well. Don't you think by now they may have gotten a little feedback of what he was doing all throughout Galilee and Capernaum? <laughs> yeah. But really the same, same really holds true for us today, doesn't it? 
It really does. When our understanding of Jesus is based upon what we think to be true, when Jesus does show up, nothing happens in our life because it's marked by unbelief. Well, I, I know what he's going to do, right? You, you know, you ever, you've noticed this? Many in here have been in Christ for a long time. If you notice this, the longer that we're in Christ, the more we look at what he has, has or hasn't done in the past, and we think that we understand how he works. And as time moves on, our belief is based on our perception and past experiences. Well, God answered my prayer this way, so he'll do it this way again. Now, we don't say these things, right? But so often, so often, it's that line of unbelief that hampers what God wants to do. Or that putting of God within a box hinders what he wants to do. I, I love it when he doesn't allow us to do that. And he shows himself anyway. Oh, what grace. I'd say, well, God didn't answer my prayer the, the way I wanted him to, so now I begin to hesitate when I go to him in prayer. There's just this nagging kind of this unbelief in prayer because, eh, well, I know he can do it, but I, I don't know if he'll do it for me. What are you doing? You're ba- watch, you're basing your belief but based upon perceptions and past experiences. That may or may not be accurate. So, well, God didn't answer my prayer. Really? Maybe he had a greater thing going. How many, how many have asked for something and seen the greater thing? I'm like, boy, I'm glad that didn't get answered. Amen. Yes. Yeah. Let me say it this way. The moment that we base our view upon Jesus based upon our past experiences I should say the moment we view Jesus based upon our past experiences and our understanding rather than the word of God unbelief can creep into the life you know what happens we begin to hesitate when we pray Some of the hesitation, I, I don't want to go too far down this trail, but some of it is just because we've ceased or don't have the understanding, I should say, that um, the majority of prayer is so we might know the mind of God, not necessarily get every little thing we think we want. Right? We mature, hopefully, out of that idea of God is this genie in a bottle. I'd hope so. Yeah. See, we hesitate when we pray, when we look at God based on what we, our own perception of who he is and what he is and what he's going to do. We hesitate. We pray, but we, we really don't believe he's going to answer. And watch this. Jesus ends up being limited because of our unbelief. And we've caused our own unbelief <laughs> because we have viewed him wrongly. Yeah. I said it this morning. Here's the problem. You make a goal out of a byproduct. Instead of knowing and believing the one who can do all things, we look at the byproduct. You see, maybe you're here tonight 
And Jesus desires to do more in your life, but you're hindering him because of your unbelief. You're hindering him because of your perception of who you think he is and what, he is, what you think he is. And it's not biblical. You can't find it in the word of God. It's been brought about by your own experiences. It's maybe been brought about by looking at the experiences of somebody else. And it's hindering what he wants to do in your life. Maybe you're here tonight and you just need to remember and know that victory is possible. Maybe you just need to, to, to mark it down that victory is possible for that thing that you're dealing with. Financial troubles, maybe you need to know that they really are a concern to the Lord Jesus Christ. No, they may not be answered the way you think they ought to be answered. Yeah. But he's concerned. Right. The obstacle that kind of seems like a mountain, no, it can be removed. Why? Because he said it could. You see, it's all based upon what he says. Not our perception of him, but what he has said. What ends up happening, maybe here tonight your unbelief really is just hindering him. No, he wants to do more. He wants to, but something something has wormed its way into your thinking about God that is unbiblical. That is not true. And now unbelief is ruling in some area of your life. Maybe because you've allowed circumstances to define Jesus. That's not a good idea, is it? (laughs) He wants to do more. He absolutely wants to do more. He wants to build this church. Do you not believe God wants to reach this, this community? Do you not think he does it by his church? Do you, hey, did you know if there's, I mean, if you're in here and somebody's in or watching online and boy, I tell you what, you can't pray about God growing our church because of there's a little tinge of unbelief. Well, we didn't, it, this, is how, this is how a church grows because your wrong perception, that's how churches grow. We don't have that. We don't got this and we don't do this and we don't have that and the world's changed and society's changed and this has changed and you know what, before you know it, unbelief marks your life and you can't even pray. And you know what you've ended up doing? Hindering what God wants to do. Yeah. So what's the remedy? Boy, we're going to get out early tonight. Are you excited? You say this, this, gives me hope that God can do anything, right? Amen. (laughs) But what's the remedy for it all, really? Just keep your eyes on Jesus. Him, who He is and what He says He is. Get into the Word of God and figure out and learn who He is. Can He lie? No, He can't lie. right? Does He love you? Absolutely He does. Does he have desires to, to work in your life? To make, does, is there the, the, the promise to make us like Jesus Christ? Yes. I mean, just get in and find out who he said he is and what he said he will do in his time and for his purpose. Find out who he is. They didn't take the time. They're at his hometown. All they did look, was look at his family. 
well, because your dad's a carpenter, because your mom's this, and because your sisters and brothers are this, and that must mean you are this, right? Aren't you glad that God didn't look at some of your family and just decide, well, forget you. Your mom was this, and your dad was this, and your siblings were this, and hey, God doesn't do it to us, amen? Yeah, don't do it to him. Here's what you'll find out. Jesus always desires to do more. I don't care how old you are. I don't care what stage of life you're in. He still is desiring to do more in your life. He, has, he still has plans. He still has things. You know, some of the, I think some of the greatest things achieved in people's lives are at the last, you know, maybe 10 and 20 years of their life. Yeah. Some of the, some of the they say some of the, the, some of the most profitable, most measurable time for people or in their careers and whatever they're in is in, when they've been in at 30 and in year 30 and 40 at year at 50 years old and, and, and up boy they say that's just when the when things just really start taking off don't limit God because of where you are in life he still has a plan for you he still has a desire for you he still wants to do more in your life he still wants to do more in this church you know it's easy to say well goodness 68 years you know, maybe maybe he'll move on to something else. Maybe that's it. Yeah, that's that's really really silly thinking. Yeah, when we know that he desires to do abundantly above that we ask all we ask or think. Right. When we know he desires to reach this area, when he know when we know when we know he's concerned about the lost and he wants them saved. Yeah, and he's given us the responsibility to reach them. What can we do? Well, knowing the facts about God, what we can do? Well, we can, we can pray and believe for some things. God, we need this. If we're going to continue on, we're going to have to have this, and you're going to have to do this, and we're going to have to see you do that. And, yeah. Just being in this little place here, boy, you watch God do all sorts of things. Boy, that's neat. Yeah. You know what it says? He's not done. Your perception of Jesus, your unbiblical perception of Jesus can bring unbelief into your life and it will cause him to be limited in what he wants to do. Don't limit him. Don't limit him. Father, thank you tonight. Thank you for this one truth. Above all that's here, this one thing, you want to do more. You would love to do more. What hope that is. What excitement that is. Or that there's still more for us to accomplish. There's more for us to do. There's still victory that's possible in our life. There may be somebody in here that has been living with something for, for the, the, the entirety of their adult life. And they think, I'm done. That's, there's no hope. Yes, there is. God, you still want to do great things if we just believe you. So, Father, if there's any root of unbelief in us, Lord, would you pull that up tonight? Would you help us to get in your word and get a better foundation of who you are that as we look unto thee, Lord, we'll be strengthened and encouraged that we'd pray again with belief, 
that we'd sit back and watch you do great things in our life that you have been intending to do, but we've been hindering you because of unbelief. We thank you for this tonight. What a great reminder. Thank you so much. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. The instrument's going to play. The invitation time has begun. Would you stand, please? Maybe the Lord's spoken to you about something, an area of your life. Maybe it's not even an area of unbelief. Maybe it's something else. God has spoken to you tonight. Would you, would you respond to Him? God is attempting to do something in your life. He's attempting to bring you somewhere. He's attempting to work something out. Allow Him to do that tonight. He'd do more if you'd let Him. He'd do more if you'd believe Him. Troy, would you close us in a word of prayer tonight? Father, Father, Lord, thank you again for 